every chance we get. Lead us, Lord. Grow us into the people that you created us and you purposed us to be. We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Have a seat. I am not the techiest person in the world. And so when I have an issue with my phone or my computer, I go to my two close friends, Google and YouTube. Google and YouTube are always there for you, and it seems like they know everything. And so when I go to Google and YouTube to fix my phone or a computer, oftentimes these leading experts that I'm learning from say that you need to do one thing, and oftentimes that one thing will solve it. And then they say, if this doesn't solve it, well, you're in trouble. (laughs) You know what that one thing is? Restart your device. That's it. All you have to do is turn the phone off and on or restart your computer, and guess what? Most of your problems go away. You're welcome. (laughs) Why am I telling you that? Well, I want to be helpful, so if you have any problems, try to do that, and hopefully you don't have to go see somebody. But the second reason I'm telling you that is because today I'm asking the chapel to hit the restart restart button, to restart our understanding of one of the weirdest, craziest, and most beautiful books in the Bible. Today we begin a 17-week study through the book of Revelation. And the reason I'm asking you to hit the restart button is because I would love that our whole church would be on the same page. That we would be able to approach Revelation just like we should be approaching Scripture in general with a posture of openness and curiosity and humility. I have learned about Revelation when I went to seminary and there are some things that I know and things that I've been taught even when I became a Christian about 17 years ago, but I too hit the restart button. When we started to study Revelation months ago in preparation of this, I literally approached it like it was the first time, allowing scripture to speak. And it unlocked some things for me that I've never thought of before that I'll share with you even later. But I'm asking all of us to hit the restart button. So we approach this with humility. The other reason is because I know so many of us are on so many different pages when it comes to Revelation. I know many of us who approach Revelation in a sense that we read it and then we have to put it in a neat little timeline. And then we argue about when this is going to happen and when that's going to happen, if we should include this or not include this. The problem is it takes it and makes it an academic study and not worship. So we need to hit the restart button because what if our interpretation all along was wrong? It's okay. That's how we hit the restart button. Others of us, we are scared of revelation. I mean, one time we heard a message about it or we read it and we're like, no, thank you. My Bible ends at the book of Jude (laughs) and Jude is right before revelation. So we go Jude right back to Genesis. We don't want to touch revelation. Let's hit the restart button together because revelation is not about doom and gloom. It's about worship. Others of us, we approach it like, what is this? This sci-fi novel at the end of my Bible. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't, it doesn't click with the rest of Scripture. Actually, let me tell you, and we'll show you along the way it does. There's actually a lot of things we see in Revelation we actually see in other parts of the Bible. But we don't have to be scared of it. We don't have to figure it out. We don't have to read it like it's not part of Scripture. We read it just like we read the rest of Scripture to worship. 
And so over the next 17 weeks, as we look at Revelation, we want to hit the restart button so that when we study it, we are all able together to embrace the wonder of Revelation. We don't have to be scared of it and keep our hands out. We don't have to just figure it out and put it all together. No, we embrace it together. We embrace this wonder that the wonder is Jesus. Revelation is all about Jesus. And some of you are like, well, that's a typical Sunday school answer. But sadly, along the way, we've made Revelation something other than Jesus. And it's about Jesus. In fact, I need us to get that. So today, would you just repeat after me? Revelation is about Jesus. Say it. Revelation is about Jesus. Say it again. Revelation is about Jesus. It's to lead us into worship. It's to have a greater understanding of who Jesus is. And that's why we're taking 17 weeks. We could take five years and honestly not get through it all. I figured you probably didn't want to stay there for five years. And so over the next few weeks, we want to help you deep dive into Revelation, even outside of a Sunday morning. So Pastor Ryan, who is our Port Clinton campus, and I, we've been working on a resource list for you to access any time that you would like. So if you go to the chapel.family, which is our website, slash revelation-resources, there are resources there, like classes that you can take. They're free, that you can just walk through these courses. There's videos on YouTube that will help you. There are podcasts that you can listen to, articles, books, that we're actually going through ourselves as we study Revelation. And we want to give you those tools to be able to access. So maybe for you, you're studying Revelation in your chair time and you need a, a companion like a book or a commentary to help you. Or you're going through it with your small group and you want to go a little deeper than we can on stage. Whatever that is, we have resources available to you and we will continue to update those as needed. Before we jump in, I just want to take time to be able to create that posture of humility. And the only way I know how to do that is to pray before our holy God. So would you just pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for this study of Revelation. Revelation is a gift to behold. And we are so excited, Lord, to embrace the wonder. We want to hit that restart button so that all of us are on the same page, so that we can approach this the way, Lord, you have intended it to be approached as. We give the glory to you, Jesus, for your sake. Amen. About six years ago, Todd and I, we were uh, able to have this position of lead pastor as Pastor Bill retired. And for six years, I've been waiting to say this from stage. Open up your Bibles to the book of Revelation. So open up. If you don't know where Revelation is at, it's at the end of your Bible. There it is. You don't even have to really scroll uh, pretty uh, far to find that. So go to your phones, your Bibles, open Revelation. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11 today. You'll see we're going to jump around a little bit, uh, but I think it's going to be a blessing to us. So Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John who faithfully reported everything that he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Let me begin by asking a question. What do you think of when you hear the word apocalypse? What images come to mind? What movies come to mind or thoughts or words come to mind when you think of the word apocalypse? Maybe this, a doomsday end of the world image. Is that what you think of when you think of apocalypse? How about this? This is a rendering of a bunker 
in Georgia, $17.5 million. It is 45 feet under the ground, and it holds 20 people. So if you want to be in the 20, you better write this person a letter. 20 people fit into this, and the person built it so that if the end of the world comes, they can withstand the atomic bombs that are coming or to be able to withstand a zombie invasion. True story. This is at their house. And when I think of apocalypse, I think of these crazy, weird, zombie invasion, end-of-the-world, doomsday kind of things. And it makes me wonder, is that how we have approached Revelation? Are we approaching Revelation as if these zombies are going to bite our heads off? (laughs) Or this end-of-the-world doomsday where we have to be scared because someone's prophesying when Jesus is going to come back? problem is when people use that wording or phrasing or imagery for apocalypse, they actually miss out on what the word apocalypse actually means. You see, in Revelation verse 1, John uses the word twice. That's where we get the English word revelation, but the Greek word is the Greek word apocalypsis. Apocalypsis means revelation. So when we think of apocalypse, we should not think of this doomsday, end-of-the-world zombie invasion picture. We should think of a revelation, a revealing of, a revealing from whom? From Jesus. Revelation is not used to predict when Jesus is coming back. It is not used to abuse in a fearful way to scare people about the mark of the beast. Revelation is about Jesus. It's a revelation of Jesus' character, his redemption, his judgment, his grace, his love. It is about Jesus. It is not to put into a neat timeline to try to figure out future events. It's God's word for us today. That's what's so amazing about Scripture. It's written for a group of people, for a certain reason, for them to be able to know more about Jesus. When you read the book of Ephesians, you're reading it as, okay, here's the Apostle Paul writing to a church in Ephesus. If you're reading the book of Corinthians, you're reading Paul writing to a church in Corinth. The same thing is happening in Revelation. We have an author John, who is writing to a group of seven churches for a specific reason. Not to be able to tell them what may happen in the future, but saying that you can have hope today. Verse 4. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. And from the sevenfold spirit before his throne. Let me fast forward just a few verses. He says in verse 9, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit and suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So here we have an author who is John. John, one of the 12 apostles, 
one of Jesus' close friends in his inner circle. He has been faithful to Jesus. He is journeying with Jesus. And now he is exiled to this place called Patmos. And he's writing to these seven churches. These seven churches located in Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. And he's writing to them with a common purpose. He's writing to them for a reason. To get them on the same page. To help them as they journey with Jesus. What is that reason? Again, verse 9. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering. And in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to this island of Patmos for preaching the word of God for my testimony about Jesus. In our backyard, we have Kelly's Island. And on Kelly's Island, there is a Christian camp called Camp Patmos. And when I was a youth leader here at the chapel, we went to Patmos every summer. And it was a great time. What we did was we got with students. We read the Bible. We grew together. We ate lots of sugar. And we sent them back to their parents. (laughs) They liked the Bible part, the sugar part, not so much. It was such a great place, a getaway, so to speak. But the island of Patmos that we see here is the complete opposite. John is suffering because he is an exiled criminal. That's where exiled criminals go, this island of Patmos. What is he guilty of? Being a Jesus follower. For preaching the word. The government doesn't like that, so sends him to the island of Patmos. And thankfully, we have a Roman historian, Tacitus, who tells us what is happening at Patmos. You see, John and these other exiled criminals, they were given hard labor. And if they didn't fulfill their duties, they would be beaten for it. They barely had any food to eat, any clothing to wear. At night, they had to sleep on this rocky, hard ground. And it's here, at this place of suffering, that John receives the apocalypse, the revelation of Jesus, to send to seven churches who are also suffering. He's encouraging them to suffer in a way that they can endure, to persevere. Same thing is true for us. Some of you in this room understand what it feels like to be persecuted or made fun of for your faith. We may not be exiled to an island for it, but a lot of times we feel like we are exiled in our lives, whether that's at our workplaces or in our families, certain friendships, neighborhoods, whatever it is, when we truly cry out, hallelujah, people don't like that. For those of us, we understand suffering in the sense of we understand what it feels like every single day to take steps in this broken, fractured world. Our emotional pain, our relational trials, our mental hurdles that we have to get over. All of these things that we walk through every single day The book of John is written to you, or book of Revelation is written to you from John to be able to endure suffering. How do we do that? How does John do that? How does these seven churches who are persecuted and suffering for their faith do that? How do we do that? By reading Revelation. 
Revelation is not a puzzle to put together. It's not a code to decipher. It's a revealing of Jesus so that you and I, in our brokenness and in our hurts and in our suffering, can faithfully trust and put our hope in Jesus. That's what Revelation is about. If anybody uses Revelation to predict the future or to tell you that Jesus is coming back on June 6, 2021, that's today, by the way, uh-oh. If anyone ever does that, run away! Run away! John never meant it for that. He meant it for those who are trying their best to follow Jesus, to give them a picture of hope, a picture of faithfulness that they can abide by so that they can put their trust and hope in Jesus, especially when it's hard. It is not written about the future. It's about the future breaking into the present. We as Christ followers back then and now, we live between the resurrection and then Jesus bringing heaven to, to earth. And we'll see that at the end of Revelation. We are living in the middle of what has happened and yet what to, is to come, but we can still live faithfully and have a picture of who Christ is. That's what Revelation is all about. I heard a story from a seminary professor named Daniel Aiken. Actually, he's a uh, president. And he was talking to a colleague one time, and the colleague was a missionary at a church in a third world country where it was illegal to be a Christian. They had to go underground to worship Jesus. It wasn't like us today who may, someone may say something bad about our faith or make fun of the Bible. I mean, literally, if you were a Jesus follower in that country, you could be killed, just like back in Revelation. And this missionary goes to this church, and out of curiosity, he asks the question, what is your favorite book of the Bible? And the church responded, Daniel and Revelation. I'm thinking, I mean, not John? <laughs> not Psalms? Like, Daniel and Revelation, some of the craziest things in the Bible that you can read, that's your favorite? And they said, yeah. Because in the end, we figure out in those books that our God wins. Revelation is not about trying to figure out when we leave earth. Revelation is not about a certain interpretation using that to sell millions and copies of books and movies. Revelation is about how our God wins and how our God wins should affect us today. It should never make us scared. It should never make us fearful. It should never make us feel insecure. It should make us feel Hopeful and trustful in Jesus. It's not about a zombie apocalypse. It's about a revelation of our king who reigns on the throne. I think if the author John was here today and he, he would speak to you, I think he would tell you that some of the people that have come along after him has, have misinterpreted some of the things that he has written about. I told you at the beginning that I read something that unlocked revelation for me that I've never thought of before, and I want to share that with you today. In his book, in Eugene Peterson's book, A Reversed Thunder, which is on our website of resources to buy, it's a book that our pastors are reading to just continue to learn more about revelation. At the beginning of the book, he quotes this snarky theologian named G.K. Chesterton. He is hysterical. And I'm going to summarize him. Here's what he says. He said, St. John saw a lot of wild beasts in his vision but he could have never anticipated the wild beasts of those who would come along and misinterpret what he had to say. 
You see, I think if John were here today, I think he would say this. I've seen the movies that have been put out. I've seen the books. I see the different interpretations. I don't think John would be upset. I think he would simply say, it's not what I meant when I wrote Revelation. We've taken different ideas and we've turned it into something that I've never meant it to be. Have you ever said something to somebody? Then you hear somebody else interpret that. You're like, that's not what I said. I think John would simply say today, it's not what I said. It's not what I meant. In fact, I think if John were here today, he would say, you know, we read Revelation through this perspective. I want to ask if you would read it through three different perspectives. For I believe John, according to Eugene Peterson, and I totally agree with this, he's pastor, he's theologian, and he's poet. You see, when we start to read Revelation and think, oh, here he's being a pastor. Oh, here he's being a theologian. Oh, some of the imagery here, he's being a poet. Then all of a sudden, it starts to unlock it the way he delivered it to these seven churches. Eugene Peterson says of John being a pastor, he says, we must be courteous to John himself by honoring the fundamental concerns that we discern in his life that come to expression in Revelation. The subject of God is not cryptographic esoterica, and it's his context is pastoral, not alarmist entertainment. What he simply is saying is, my purpose in writing this book was to my churches that I care about. My fellow sufferers, I'm joining them as a good pastor does in their suffering, and I want to journey with them as they discover more about the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not cryptographic esoterica, which simply means somebody understands it and thinks it's just this and then proclaims it out like they have unlocked revelation. And it's not alarmist entertainment, meaning we don't take this book and we turn it into movies and books to make millions of dollars for our own gain. It's about a pastor coming alongside of his church, helping them understand what faithfulness to Jesus Christ looks like. But there's times where he says, look, I, I, I got to switch glasses with you for a minute. I want you to look at a different lens. Now, I want to be a theologian. We see John do that in John chapter 1 of his gospel that he wrote. He talks about Jesus being the word. The word in Greek means logos. Logos means order. Logos means that there is logic to this world. And in Revelation, you're going to see certain things that he presents in a logical way. A way where he says, look, church, I need you to go deeper in your understanding of Jesus so you can understand the fullness of God, the fullness of this revelation. It's kind of what Peterson says about him being a theologian. He says, the task of John is to demonstrate a gospel order in the chaos of evil and arrange elements of experience and reason. He wants to stimulate our intellect so that they are perceived proportionately and coherently. These topics that will incur like Sin, defeat, discouragement, prayer, suffering, persecution, praise, and politics. They're placed in relation to the realities of God and Christ. Holiness and healing, heaven and hell, victory and judgment, beginning and end. He says, look, put your theologian hat on just for a moment. I'm going to take you into a deeper dive of who God is. And the deeper we get, we got to understand this is who God is. We can't put God in a box. The theologian John says, let's break the box so we understand who God is. So sometimes he writes as a pastor, like, hey, church, I'm just here to, to suffer with you. I'm here to help. I'm in this with you, obviously, because of where I'm writing this from. 
There's other times where he's like, hey guys, we need to get a little deeper because the more deeper we get about God, the more theology that we have, the more we'll worship. But then, and this is what helped unlock it for me, he also is a poet. Sometimes we read this imagery and symbolism through the eyes of theology. Whereas John is like a good poet. A poet uses symbolism, uses imagery to stir our emotions and our affections, to be able to communicate something that you just can't with normal words. So you're going to see John paint pictures and use images and use symbolism throughout as he makes a point to this church, these churches who just need to know more about Jesus. I like what Peterson says about John as the poet. As poet, John is using words to intensify our relationship with God. John wants to jar us out of lethargy, get us to live on alert, open our ears to the hard steel promises of commands of Christ, banish boredom from the gospel, lift our heads and enlarge our hearts. You can't be bored when you read Revelation. It should wake us up to maybe the God that we have worshipped in a way that we've put him in a box and nice and neat. Now we're going to break the box. And we need to put on our poet hat, our poet glasses, to be able to see, okay, here's what John means here. And throughout our study over the next 17 weeks, we'll say, hey, John's being pastor, John's being theologian, John's being poet here, to help us understand. Because listen, I've said this today, and we'll say it all 17 weeks. John is not writing in code, and he doesn't want us to try to use his words to put it together to say, aha, I got it. He's not scattering a thousand pieces in a puzzle and we're trying to put it together. He's simply writing to churches for a reason, to give them a revelation of who Jesus is. So they can live faithfully to him. It's not about a doomsday. It's about hope. Hope that our God reigns. So why are we doing this at the chapel? Well, it's in the Bible. That's the easiest answer that I can give you. We want to look at it because it's in the Bible. And we want to look at it because I'm hoping this deepens our faith like never before and wakes us up to the gospel. We used to teach this class here at our church years ago. Dr. Preston did. Some of you know that class. And I had a guy come up to me after the service last night and he said, I, I took Dr. Preston's class years ago. And I said, that's great. He said, you know what? It led me to put my faith in Jesus. And I said, that's what it is. This isn't to scare us. This isn't to make us throw our hands up in the air and think I can never understand this. It's not about, ah, I understand it and everybody doesn't. It's not about creating movies. It's about bringing us to faith in Jesus and help us to live faithfully to him. Because when we do this, I promise you, it'll change our church. How do I know that? Because John tells us it will. He says this in verse 3. God blesses those, blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. And he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. We are doing this so that God will bless us. But we have to be clear. He blesses us when we obey it. James says, you can have all the faith in the world, but if your actions aren't there, if you're not showing people your faith, your faith is dead. So we can't just approach Revelation and learn about these beasts and learn about all these things and then feel better about our own knowledge. No, we have to obey it. We have to do what it says. It should lead us to worship, not just worshiping with our worship team. Worship is our lifestyle, and this should help us as we walk faithfully with Jesus. Because what's Revelation all about? It's all about Jesus. John tells us this. He who is Jesus Christ 
is the faithful witness to these things. The first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world, all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. This is what revelation is about. The risen one who has shed his blood so that you and I can be with him for eternity. And I can't think of a better way to end our time than ending with communion. To honor and remember all that Jesus has done in Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. So if you have your communion cups, go ahead and grab them. If you didn't get one, we have um, people in the back. Raise your hand. They would love to deliver one to you. We have one up here. Would you just open the top of this and hold this wafer in your hands? And would you just reflect on the words on the screen? That Jesus is the first to rise from the dead so that you and I can rise from the dead someday. That he freed us from a life of shame and sin in our past because of the shedding of his blood. Can we just say thank you to Jesus for this? Let's do this all together to remember him. Now would you take the cup John tells us that Jesus' body wasn't just broken, but his blood was shed for us so that we can be free. Would you just take a few moments in silence to thank Jesus for the freedom that he's given all of us through his spilled blood? Jesus says, do this together to remember me. Would you stand with me? At the, at the end of each Revelation message, we want to end with a benediction. The same benediction that John proclaims over these churches. A benediction that says, look, Jesus is coming, but you can live faithfully now. A benediction that says it's not about the future, it's about the present. Jesus is breaking into it, your presence now. And so as we end the time, I want to just ask us that we would read these words together out loud as God's blessing to us. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. You're dismissed.